0: We're going through the Sermon on the Mount uh, under the theme, Living Your Blessed Life Now. And we're a ways into this sermon series. I don't want to quite say that it's all been introduction up until now, but this Sunday is when it's really starting to kick in, in the sense that we're up to the parts where Jesus is, is preaching on On certain parts of the Christian life, uh, starting with the sixth commandment, as as you'll see. And then all the other sections are all all different, very practical words for our lives. Uh, Beginning, Matthew 5, beginning at verse 21. This is God's holy and infallible word. This is Jesus continuing to speak in this sermon. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come. And offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you will be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. That's God's word for us this morning. Four ways to affirm life from our text. Four ways to affirm life. As Christians, we talk about being pro-life. We affirm life, and there are all sorts of implications to that. We want the horror of abortion to end. We want to affirm adoption in our world of kids who need homes. We respect the elderly, the hungry, the poor. All of life is sacred There's a theological basis for affirming life, which is just another way of saying this is all rooted in God. Theo in theological means God, and God is the Lord of life. He created all things in the beginning. Mankind fell into sin. God's judgment against sin is death. In our sinning day by day, each one of us is Responsible for the death that has come. God sent Jesus to die so that he might give us life. Through God's electing love in Jesus, he affirms our life as his people and he grants us eternal life. And so we are people of life. We affirm life for others in this world, especially for the least of these we point people everywhere to the Lord of life. We invite others to get off the road of death and to enter the pathway and the blessing of life in Jesus. The sixth commandment is the heart of God's direction in all of this, in terms of life. In the Old Testament, we read it, it's "Do not murder." In our verses, Jesus is telling us what this commandment is all about. Having been brought from death to life through his finished work, Jesus is showing his people, you and me today, how to be people of life, what it involves. Four ways this morning to affirm life, four ways to truly be pro life, if you want to put it that way. First of all, we count on Scripture. We count on Scripture. Last week, we were in the section just before this because we're going right through the Sermon on the Mount. We saw how Jesus affirmed Scripture. And if you have your Bible still open, you can look ahead to the previous section, verses 17 through 20. God's Word, Old Testament and New, is the foundation for all our faith and for all our living. Unlike anything ever written by men and women, the Bible comes from God, and it's completely reliable, infallible, we say, inerrant, God breathed, according to 2 Timothy 3. At first, it seems like Jesus might be minimizing Scripture in our verse. He's saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you, or at least he's downplaying the Old Testament, or maybe the Old Testament is important. Is is he saying God's law tells us one thing, but I'm telling you something else? Well, that couldn't be the case, because just in verse 17, Jesus told us he hasn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. And in verse 18, he affirms the authority of God's word for us down to the smallest letter the least stroke of a pen. Every little part of his word is our authority. What he's challenging isn't God's word, but how people were interpreting the word, the Bible. When he talks about the word, he pretty much always says it is written or the law of Moses. But he says here what was said to the people long ago. So he was talking about The religious leaders like the scribes, the Pharisees, who, if you can believe it, the leaders of the church in that day were leading God's people astray. We think the scribes go back to the Babylonian captivity of Israel. Hundreds of years earlier, that's the long ago that Jesus is talking about, from then on up to Jesus' day, they added. Human words, traditions, laws to the faith of God's people. It was so bad that God's word wasn't being taught to the people of God. It was the opinions of men and women. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And they did this on the issue of life. They added to the sixth commandment a judgment from later on. It's from Numbers 35 That wasn't there in the Ten Commandments. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That doesn't sound so bad, doesn't sound so far off, but it was off. They were limiting the command to murder to spilling blood only. But it always meant more. It's about being a people of life. God's word makes it really clear. It involves our words, our thoughts, our heart. And they made the punishment not so bad. When they say, Jesus says, judgment here, they were probably talking about the civil government, not God's punishment against sin. So don't murder or you'll be arrested and punished by the local authorities. So as long as you didn't murder anybody, you could follow this commandment perfectly. I think, I don't know all your histories and past perfectly well, but probably most of us, maybe all of us, then would be good to go. We keep the sixth commandment. But Jesus, like he always does, is bringing us back to the truth of God's word. The gems learned it this year. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. If Scripture isn't guiding you, if it's ideas of people, you're going to get off track. And of course, Jesus bringing us God's Word, we have to realize this isn't just any old sermon, the Sermon on the Mount from any preacher. This is different because Jesus is God. So when we hear Jesus' Word, God's word is his word. Jesus is the word become flesh. So he's teaching God's word, which is his word. And there's a lot of mystery there. But he stands on God's word as his very own word. And he tells us what the word means for our lives. Like here, this is the authority of God himself to us. We're reminded that for all our living. We count on God's word, not people's words. The foundation of God's word for our faith and living, it's why the first part of faith's mission statement is that people would experience God's word. That's our desire for these girls, for the boys, our young people, adults. The Bible's our authority in all aspects of our church for all our living. When there's a contradiction between man's word and God's word, We want to choose Scripture every time, even when it's unpopular. And it seems like it's unpopular these days. And people of the Word affirm life. When Scripture guides us on this, our values, our priorities, end up looking very different from, say, those who hold to atheistic evolution or some other human system of belief. You can see in how Christians Affirm life, it's very different from people who base their lives on other authorities. So, we affirm life first by counting on Scripture, and the Bible teaches us that He is the Lord of life, God is, and it shares the good news that Jesus came to bring us from death to life. Second, we affirm life by using our words. Use your words. We tell our little ones this. Often. They can get so frustrated by things in life. They cry. They're rolling around on the ground. We have a five-year-old and uh, we just told it to Adriana yesterday. She, We were in the van. She was exhausted after a softball game. Couldn't express herself except in ways that weren't entirely great for the rest of us in the van. And we're like, Adriana, use your words. And, and she tried. I don't know if she ever got to it. Took a little nap and then it worked. As adults, we need this reminder too. There are, I think there are more than a few wives in history who are sitting at the dinner table or in an evening at home have wanted their husbands to use their words a little more. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Use your words. God's Word calls us to use our words for his glory. Jesus shows us how our words can break the sixth commandment and our words can fail to be life-affirming. There's an old movie, maybe I think a lot of people have seen it. I never saw it. I only know the title. It's called Mean Girls. Have you ever heard of that movie, Girls? I don't recommend it, even though I haven't seen it. Just the title tells me. I don't recommend it. Now, our gems, I'm here on Wednesday nights leading worship, and I know for sure that our gems aren't mean girls. But all of us, and you girls know that girls can be very mean to one another. And not just girls, boys can be really mean too. But I feel like boys can be mean in different ways, gems, I don't want you to get too proud or anything, but the common consensus is that girls are better with words than boys in general, very verbal. So you're, you're good with words on average, but responsibility comes with that. We can use our words to really, really hurt those around us, right, girls? But we can also use this wonderful gift of God for good. Jesus gives us two types of words not to use. We don't know 100% what these words meant, but we have a good idea. Raka was insulting someone's intelligence, like calling someone an idiot. It's something you say if you just totally despise someone. You fool is where we get the word moron. It's "more." But we kind of use moron the same way as that "rocka" word, but in Jesus' day, it meant kind of someone who was an unbeliever, who denied that God existed. Like Psalm 14.1, the fool says in their heart, there is no God. And these words were used to scoff at people, look down on them, treat them with contempt. Jesus says this isn't how we treat others. We don't treat people as worthless. And even as believers, we gotta keep that in mind. You see people in the news, people using drugs, committing crimes in poverty, and, and we have a real tendency to to kind of look with contempt on that. Well, what idiots, what fools. Look look, I, I'm fine because I made the right choices in life. Or, or, or people who, who aren't believers and they're following a different way and they get off track, but Jesus doesn't want us to scoff at people. We don't affirm sin, but we're life-affirming. With our words, we can murder someone. It's acting like They're not around. And Jesus says that's a sin deserving of judgment. And not just human judgment, not just legal trouble, but we have to worry about divine judgment. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. And Ephesians 4.29 brings us to a positive call of life. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it could benefit those who are listening. Use your words to affirm life. A third way to affirm life by keeping this commandment is to take initiative. And that's verses 23 through 26. We're going to focus here on the first part of that. Jesus is talking about the altar, bringing your gift and all that. He's basically talking about going to the temple to worship. Someone comes in to worship. Then you remember that there's an issue between you and someone else. So it's like, what do you do? Make a mental note. Continue on and worship. Sing the songs. Give your gifts. Listen to the sermon. Take care of it. Monday... Absolutely not. Jesus says, drop what you're doing, leave worship, take care of the matter right away. Remembering that your brother has something against you, that's like a major grievance, not just some small thing. Maybe harsh words with someone else, harsh words that you spoke, you never asked forgiveness, maybe a misunderstanding that is never re- resolved. There's something between you. Our goal is to do all we can as Jesus' disciples to make things right. You'd think that to be in church, worshiping God would be more important, but Jesus is saying when there's a conflict between two people, the time to take care of it is now. That's the priority, to take the initiative. Matthew 18, a little bit later in the gospel, gets into this sort of thing a little more detail in a really helpful way. Like how do you make, how do you progress, how do you go forward when there's an issue between you and others? There's an issue with you and someone, this is the Matthew 18 way. First of all, just you go to that person, talk it through. Hopefully there will be reconciliation. If there's not, take the next step. Bring one or two other people with you. Sit down and press on them the need to get the issue resolved. If that still doesn't work, the final step is to go to the church, the church leadership, maybe an elder, a deacon, or a pastor, and ask for help. So Matthew 18 lays out God's plan for conflict resolution, and it's very, very clear. The point of Matthew 5 is when Jesus is talking about the Sixth Commandment, we take initiative when it comes to problems with someone else. The time to take care of it is always now. Don't delay. Tomorrow might be too late. If you think about being pro-life and affirming life, obviously the devil does not want that. The devil is pro-death. He wants, to, he wants the pot to boil in our relationships whether it's with our spouse people close to us at work someone else in church your neighbor he wants the pot to boil in our relationships he wants there to be issues as god's people put on the road of life we do everything in our power to keep the lid on in our relationship to keep to keep Keep it down. Keep peace. Keep harmony. When we talk about this, there are always times when you do everything in your power to reconcile with someone, but they won't deal with it. They don't respond. And that's a lousy situation to be in as a believer because you feel, you know it's not right to have something unresolved. But I got to tell you, if you've reached out and they won't admit to being in the wrong or they won't accept your apology, you've done what you can before God and others. If it doesn't work one-on-one, then follow the Matthew 18 steps. Pray for the Spirit to work as you try to do it God's way. But ultimately, you can't change someone else's heart if they're going to choose to be stubborn. God has to work on that person. You have to go about it God's way, praying for the Spirit to work. The the point is, it's on each one of us, you take initiative. You do all you can. Do it God's way. Pray for the Spirit. Finally, this morning, the Lord calls us to check our hearts. And in this way, we also affirm life. We're called to check our hearts because that's where Issues, that's where sin always starts, including murder, the Sixth Commandment. The first thing that Jesus says in explaining the Sixth Commandment here is, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. So do not murder goes a lot deeper than spilling blood. The root of the murder is in the heart. Anger, anything related to anger, hatred, malice, revenge isis gets this i read an article this week that says isis counts on anger to produce violence they do stuff like the attacks in paris and in brussels to make us angry because they know anger will incite violence and war and that's exactly what they want war against the west and of course their own violent acts, the murders they have committed and probably will commit more, started out, of course, with anger and hatred in their hearts. To be a person of life, we must start, each one of us, with our hearts, ask God to root out what can fester there and build up against those around us. And and Jesus cares about what's in our hearts, not just what's on the outside for everybody to see. Matthew 15, a few chapters later, Jesus says the evil stuff in our hearts make us unclean. In other words, it makes us a sinner. And that look at the heart is always how God has looked at things, even in the Old Testament. The Pharisees, these religious leaders leading people astray in Jesus' day, chose to ignore that part of the law and that made following the law a lot easier. If no one can see in your heart, well, man, I'll tell you right now, you guys all look perfect to me. You look perfect. You're quietly listening to God's word. Nice clothes on. So as far as I'm concerned, externally, everybody's everybody's great. But... Jesus comes and he brings the full meaning of God's call for our lives. He comes to cleanse our sins, to give us new hearts to live for him in this area of affirming life. And see, a lot of people think that that last example, that's verses 25 and 26, is about that, really. There's this call to settle matters quickly, with someone taking you to court so you don't get handed over to the judge and thrown in prison. A lot of people think this has a a deeper meaning than just talking about the court and a human judge. There's this picture of a debt that needs to be taken care of. The Bible talks about the debt of our sin. We can't pay it back. The penalty is eternal prison in hell. The Bible says God is the great judge, and so Jesus, maybe, is using this illustration to call each one of us to make sure that things are right between us and God before the day of reckoning and court comes. And what about this matter of life? We mess it up. We sometimes like to see the pot boil and, and stir things up. We, we fail to submit to God's word in our lives. We've used our words to hurt. We've dragged our feet instead of immediately trying to make peace with the brother or sister. In our hearts, we've been hateful. We've been angry. We've looked down. We've downright despised others. And Jesus says about all of this, Settle it right away, friends. Don't go farther down the road of life before reconciling with the judge. Thankfully, this is possible. The judge's terms aren't difficult. When we confess God forgives, though we can't pay the bill, he says, I sent my son. He paid the price for you, and he cancels the debt. He went to death and then rose to life and set us on the road to life as his people. And in him, we can be people of life, positively following his calling. We do that everywhere we go. Friends, we do it his way. We count on scripture. We use our words. We take the initiative. We check our own hearts. With the power of Jesus' spirit, We can be pro-life more than ever before as he changes us in this world. Amen.